0: sit down and buckle up it's time for the pirate Monk podcast
1: welcome to the pirate monk podcast this is rob and i am with my four-year good friend poblito many of you know him from meetings all the way calling in from whittier california oblito welcome to the podcast
2: Hey, good to be here with you brother, but we've been friends for five years, so we've only been good friends for four. Can you explain that? No, I'm just kidding. Good <laughs> to you. see you, buddy.
1: Yeah, great to be with you. And um, we just got back from the weekend retreat and I had an amazing time both at the retreat, but also also in the pre kind of the pre-retreat with you, myself, um, Sean Parks and Mike Moore. Um, I'm curious because there was really only one question that we, we came early to settle and that's whether or not what a burger can <laughs> hold a candle to the world famous, your favorite in and out burger. So, I mean, give us the, give us the live scoop.
2: Oh, wow. So this is my uh, first time jumping in as a, uh, playing a role in the pirate Mung podcast, And I'm going to make a bunch of enemies and maybe a few friends. Uh, so thanks Rob for, uh, throwing me into the fire bud I'm excited about this uh no in all seriousness um it was it was a desire of mine I have heard brothers especially from Texas talk about Whataburger and uh and I did speak up and tell tell you guys hey I'd like to visit that location sometime during our visit here and you guys so graciously accommodated and we I, I will say this we met a really cool associate and she was excited, and, and I think they're called operators in Whataburger, basically the store owner, and uh, customer service was great. You made sure to uh, let them know that I was testing between the two. We could, we were not just sliding underneath the radar trying a burger out. <laughs> it had to be a comparison. And so they all, I kind of came in with a little, I wouldn't say target on my back, but I'm the in-and-out guy, you know what I mean? I grew up. I mean, about seven miles from where I'm where I'm at right now is the original, what my friends and I from high school used to call Mecca. We call it a Mecca because it's the original In and Out and we it was a definitely a high school thing. I think um, In N Out has a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, growing up in Southern California and I'm having that my with my dad and my friends and the late night stuff, you know, after parties and stuff. But Whataburger was a solid burger. It was good customer service. Okay. I, will not, I will not disrespect the Whataburger. And and from what I never had it before, it became corporate-owned. But uh, from what I understand, it's kept its quality and its taste. So how's that for a diplomatic answer? Well,
1: very neutral and uh, disappointed. But <laughs> we, had a gr- we had a great time. In fact, do you remember there was a, such a loyal customer in the store listening to the banter that he came up to us. Do you remember this? Yes. He came up to us and offered to buy to buy us in and out. If, if we didn't like the water burger and he gave us his address, he told us where to find him. I mean, you talk about a loyal following that guy was all in,
2: wasn't he? Yeah, uh, that was Mike. You know, Mike was cool because you know, he, he wasn't just, he, he was unbiased if you will. Like he, he, he left room. I'd say Mike had grace. You know, if I went his way, if I was like, no, I'd like in and out burger better, you know, and uh, he was willing to put his money where his, his mouth was, right? And uh, what a cool guy, though. It just, I, I actually said, man, it, it kind of showed the area, the location that we were at, like just the the hospitality, if you will. I guess, is that considered Southern hospitality? Um, yeah. You know, that is, yeah. so that was a lot of fun, and uh, I enjoyed that, too. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, hey, listen, we had uh, a weekend together with
1: 200 and, I think, 10-ish other men from around the globe, we had a, obviously had a man all the way from Australia, which was amazing. Bainsy. Um, Several uh, men from Canada that came in to the retreat. What was the highlight for you, Paul?
2: Man, I mean, honestly, to, to me, I've been a virtual Samson guy since 2018. So um, I've been to one other retreat. But by far, I knew more brothers and I've walked more road and gotten to know men like like yourself and and so many others since that 2019 retreat that I, um, I just love being in the same room and, and and sharing space with men that I've known in a deep way that the virtual stuff is real. I mean, I I definitely have real relationships with men that I had never met up until this last weekend, but just meeting them just added a greater depth or at least a greater, um, maybe a well-roundedness to the relationship. And so I just, loved uh just rubbing shoulders grabbing a meal you know looking at a sunset or you know talking over a campfire um with other men and getting to know people in a you know deeper deeper way
1: yeah yeah i i would say i I totally agree by the way and i think that's for me this is my fourth retreat and it's the part that makes all of this so real and so connected at the same time I remember checking into my cabin. I dropped off my bags. I stepped out on uh, just early on night one, and there is an individual who's on his phone FaceTiming, and I can—he's got it on speaker, so I can hear. And he's like, "Hey, buddy, I'm at um, Sky Ranch. It's a campground," and I quickly put the storyline together. This guy is FaceTiming his son, who sounded young, probably four or five, maybe six years old. And I, I was just immediately overcome with like a deep grief, sadness, mixed with maybe gratitude. You know, inside of that conversation and the, you know, the eight seconds that I got a chance to listen to, it all just came screaming at my face. And that is, I'm around a group of men who care deeply about each other but they care deeply about their families. Mm-hmm. They care deeply about their wives, if they're still married, or their key relationships. And you know, most importantly, they want something better. Absolutely. And I, just, I was just over, just that scene for me, I was overcome with a whole host of emotions because that's what these weekends are about. That's what each of the meetings we dial in for is, are about. That's what these podcasts are about, is how do we come together and work on making our lives better. And so I'm excited for um, for our future together as we continue to grow and, and go deeper as friends in our stories, which I know the weekend was uh, a strong theme about. We've gone deep in our stories. We'll continue to do that. Looking forward to continuing to grow and learn and, and uh, transform with you and alongside of you and watch that in you and our other close friends. Absolutely. And I'm excited for the listeners because the listeners are going to hear an amazing story from a man who who grew up with his own version of trauma, even making a vow as a young boy, and then turning that into something good. And so when you think about the phrase, setting the captives free, our next guest is going to give you a completely and radically different version of what that means. And I'm excited for the listeners. So Paul, it's great to be with you in the intro, and uh, for listeners, we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
3: You know, listening to podcasts like this one is certainly helpful to your recovery. And so are the many books that we recommend. But recovery is not something that any of us can do by independent study. None of us can recover alone we heal in relationship. So it's crucially important for you to find a recovery community, a Samson Society group or a Pure Desire group or a Celebrate Recovery or other 12-step program somewhere where you can bring your real self and say the real truth. And there's another resource that you can draw on, one that's been extremely helpful to me over the years. In those times when my recovery has plateaued, or when I've gotten stuck or I've started to lose ground, I've found that there's nothing like time with a highly skilled, well-trained therapist or recovery coach to get me moving again. Now, sometimes that's taken the form of a weekly counseling appointment. At other times, it's meant attending a week-long or a weekend intensive. If you're ready to take a dramatic step forward in your recovery, let me suggest lifeworks christian counseling Uh, these are good folks the hunters and their staff get addiction they understand trauma and their approach is both biblically and scientifically sound they work with individuals and couples they're based in madison mississippi but they can work with you anywhere remotely through zoom and at various times throughout the year they also run weekend intensives for Samson, guys. To learn more, go to lifeworks.ms That's lifeworks.ms or give them a call at 601-790-0583 Welcome back to the Pirate Monk podcast. Oh, how privileged we are this week to have it. as our guest a guy who many of you, especially if those of you who uh, have served in the military or serving today, you may very well have heard of this guy. He's the CEO of All Things Possible Ministries. He's got an amazing story, an amazing background, and an amazing mission. Victor Marks is joining us today. Welcome, Victor. Hey, thanks, Nate.
4: I appreciate it. Now, now for those that don't know what this ministry is that you do, which is, is this your 20th anniversary? It is. Yeah. Okay. 20th year. 20th year. How do you summarize what you do? What's your elevator speech on this ministry?
0: Thank you. The easiest way to tell people is we set captives free mm. physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's wow. it. Wow. So, wow. So uh, I think we're best known for some of the more High-profile rescues or recoveries of children or women from ISIS uh, when ISIS had invaded Iraq, um, and so, so yeah, what? So, what did that yeah.
4: look like? You went to the Middle East, yep, with a group of people, yep. And give me. Give, it's a tall elevator. I mean, this is a, it's a yeah. skyscraper. But we still have a few floors.
0: Yeah. Well, we first we were invited by the Kurdistan Regional Government, so it was an invite. We just weren't, mm-hmm. you know, crazy people jumping on planes uh, with guns, yeah. which is mm-hmm. it. It just doesn't happen. And uh, we got the invitation, to develop relationships, and they asked us, "Could you and your team?" Go to these girls who had been held captive by ISIS, help them with the trauma relief Mm -hmm. of being abused, raped, seeing their family murdered, and being in captivity. So I took a really good group of people. Uh, We provided our own security, and then I provided a team of counselors, psychologists, and whatnot. And then we, we did. We did what they had asked and hoped for. That parlayed into us training some of their mental health professionals. And then what changed everything for us, because, gents, I, I thought it was going to be a one-off, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And my wife was on the team, uh, which is a story in itself. But when uh, when one of the young girls kept looking at my, my bride's watch, Eileen said, do you like my watch? She's like, yes. She took it off and gave it to her. And I'm standing back going, what? I gave, I bought that watch. That was like a <laughs> gift, woman. I can go get her a Timex. Um, but my, my wife just felt like this would mean the world to this gal. When she did that, and then through relationship, later, a gal gave my wife. This was this is how it changed everything. She pulls out an iPhone, the girl did, not said, I know y'all care about my sister still in captivity. I grabbed this when I was running out of the Amir's house of ISIS. Do you want it? And it was an iPhone, his iPhone. Oh. From, from an intelligence gathering perspective, that was a gold mine. And mm. up until that point, we believe that was the first iPhone ever taken uh, from an ISIS commander, because that was right in the beginning. And we were able to provide that to our government agencies, and they did some pretty important things as a result that was seen on the news, but people wouldn't know the connection. And honestly, at the point we didn't, at that early juncture, we didn't want people to know we were involved in that because we were active in and out of Iraq 16 times. We we still have a safe house there. We're still active in what we do. So yeah, that was that's when everything changed. And
4: so what? I I'm not up on uh you know ISIS functions. Yeah, they're they're going into places at that time, and I don't know what's happening now. And they're capturing women and girls for what purpose? Like, explain to me what is going on.
0: Yeah, ISIS a terrorist organization had planned to be Al-Qaeda 2.0 because they thought the old men of Al-Qaeda wasn't doing enough and held to a certain moral code they didn't even believe in. So ISIS planned a caliphate, which is to take over as much of the world as they can to implement Sharia law in an extreme version of Islam. Uh, And they did it by organized, structured, well-funded attack teams that would go into a city and through absolute, utter horror, kill, behead everyone who resisted, and they would take over the city. So when they hit Iraq, one of the main cities they went after, Sinjar was first, but then they did to Mosul. Mosul would be considered like a Los Angeles mm-hmm. in America. And they they completely pillaged, killed, took over, set up roadblocks, checkpoints, took over banks. And almost overnight, they literally gained about $700 million to their war chest. Um, And they they would take women and sometimes children for the purpose of sex slaves or using them as bargaining chips to grow their fighting force by promising young men around the world, we'll give you a bride if you come here. And Mm -hmm. gents, listen, uh, at one point they had... 52 countries represented of fighters that had come to join ISIS from around the world.
4: Wow. Wow. And you, there, I had heard a staggering number, but it was a few years ago of how many people uh, you guys got to be a part of rescuing. What is that number now? Well,
0: between recovery, rescue, facilitating, trauma care, um, and then. Other things, it's about 45,000 women and children we've affected in a positive way. Wow. So that, yeah, that pissed off ISIS in a big way.
3: Well, uh, Victor, what I'd like to do, if I could, is rewind your story. Yeah. Uh, I don't suppose when you uh, graduated from high school, your (coughs) ambition was to be uh, a trauma expert?
0: Uh, Negative, yeah. You you didn't know the word? Nope.
3: Uh, Emotionally, you knew trauma. But uh, cognitively, you didn't know trauma. Correct. Yeah. Can you uh, uh, kind of tell the story for our listeners how, how you uh, came came awake to the reality of your injury and how you found healing?
0: Yeah, it's uh, when you're raised in dysfunction, you it's not abnormal. It mm-hmm. becomes very functional, right. right? So my abuse, both physically, sexually, and the longest lasting emotionally uh, from being abused or tortured as a kid from the ages of three to seven, and then having staggering effects throughout my life and mm. patterns of habits uh, and mindsets that all I knew was that was my reality. So I, I viewed everything from a very skewed point of view. And it, it wasn't until I joined the Marine Corps that I started realizing, like, I have this, maybe abnormal sense of rage in me. And mm-hmm. that's actually why I got involved in martial arts. And later I would find out by becoming, uh, there's a video on the internet. It's like over a hundred million views now of my ga- gun disarm. I hold the world record for the fastest gun disarm, right? So somebody mm-hmm. asked me one time and it kind of set me on my heels. They were like, okay, you, you obviously it's are freakishly fast, but why? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, no, no one's ever asked me that. And it, to be honest and self-reflecting, I, I remember being a kid at seven years old, and my stepfather putting me in a chair, pulling out a pistol and putting it to the side of my head. Wow! And, and he would tap me on the side of my head with the hammer back and his finger on the trigger. not it was a revolver. I could see his round, the rounds. And he goes, if you if you ever tell anybody what I've done to you, I will blow your brains out, and then just tell the police that you found my pistol, was playing with it, and shot yourself. Mm-hmm. And at that point, as a kid, I remember fantasizing and locking it in that one day I will be so fast, no one will be able to put a weapon to my head, mm-hmm. without me, you know, being able to defend myself, and that's really was the motivational. Drive to to take a weapon away of a pistol with the hammer back and a guy's finger on the trigger with my hands down, and I would I would tell a guy, you just pull the trigger when you see me move hammer back finger on the trigger. They're laughing, but yet I can snatch the weapon from them, point it back, and pull the magazine out in eight tenths of a second. So wow. yeah, I'm I'm pretty bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> What's so, up?
4: so Victor Nate and I have had. So many conversations with people who have suffered different kinds of trauma, like you're yeah. describing. And some of them have become abusers and perpetuated the same stuff. Yep. Some of them have become uh, educators. Some are just amazing fathers. Some, though, seem to have something that grows in them that is so very protective, like th- something they want to become the protectors of what had happened to them yeah and it certainly seems like this is where you ended up but what was that path for you from like you said the the abuse itself stopped by age 7 age 7 mm-hmm. so give me the path between there and when you realized that this thing that you had gone through had planted seeds that were going to bear Beautifully important fruit for others.
0: Yeah. Well, as a kid, I always lived with the hope of growing older. I knew Mm -hmm. I couldn't change my uh, life while I still lived under the same dysfunction, Mm -hmm. whether it was a stepfather or my my mother who had suffered mental health issues Mm -hmm. uh, from abuse as a kid in this perpetuating cycle. But I always had hope that when I grow up, when I'm able to leave, uh, I wanted to be some type of soldier or Marine. I mm-hmm. wanted to be some, in, in, equipped. I was very intentional. You know, I want to scuba dive, skydive, martial arts, shoot. And and again, it's this defender, protector role that is what kind of blossomed in me. And I'll tell you, I never felt you know, I, I never felt like I was tough as a kid or equipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, I tend to be slower, wasn't good at grades, wasn't athletic uh, to any high level. Uh, I just felt like an ordinary kid. But it wasn't until I got the chance to be out uh, and through joining the Marine Corps for me, that was the pathway to help me understand I could do more than whatever thought I could in my mind. Mm -hmm. And the the Marines helped me prove that through physical testing, training, mental resiliency. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I found that I had this thing in my brain that I will never give up. I will die before I give up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at at
4: what point in that journey did you realize you needed to get some of that therapeutic help to address the trauma. So you've, you've entered into all this physical world, which is addressing it in many ways. At what point did you say, Oh,
0: there's, there's another journey I need to go on here. Well, I started seeing patterns of what they call transference of anger Mm -hmm. uh, because anger just doesn't go away. Especially when someone experiences an injustice as a kid, you just can't flip a switch. So, you know, anger is a secondary emotion and it's like I was trying to figure out why can I be so nice and funny and fun, but then if I'm triggered and I slip a, you know, just flip a switch, I'll pound a dude into a mud puddle, disproportionate mm-hmm. to the offense, and and that concerned me. So I, you know, I did a lot of fighting, uh, sparring, training to try to get that feeling out of me. Uh, But it wasn't until a little bit later in life when I met my future wife and we got engaged, sent out the marriage invitations. And one day she came to visit me, normal routine, and I couldn't feel any emotion. Mm. My, My emotions went into neutral. And she's like, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I just can't feel anything. She said, look, Like what? I said, I I can't feel love, excitement, anger. I I'm completely in a state of neutral emotions. I don't know how to pull myself out. At that point, she was like, Whoa, you know? And I ended up having talking to a psychiatrist first time ever. And he, you know, he said, I think you have the mom issue deal of and I was like, Ah, don't give me that. And he goes, what's what's one of the strongest memories you have of your mom uh, talking to you about dating or women or whatever? And I was like, oh, I I absolutely remember. I was in the middle school. My mom had a fifth of whiskey in her hand walking down the hallway of her little house. And she grabbed me by the scruff, by, you know, by the collar, pulled me close and said, don't ever trust a woman. They're just going to use you, abuse you, and leave you. And she slammed me against the wall and walked out. And I didn't take offense to that moment. I didn't think she was being mean. I thought she was just giving me a warning. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That imprinted so deeply into my soul that it was affecting me all those years later. Now with a woman that was my dream girl, I could have mm-hmm. never got, I felt like this was a blessing from God Almighty. And now I became detached emotionally from her based on that. And I saw it hurt her. It was. She said, hey, we can call off the wedding. And- I'll stay, I will stay here. I'm not going to leave you like your mom or, you know, any of that stuff. And she just goes, I'll stay here until you're 85. And if you're 85 years old and then you feel comfortable to get married, she goes, we'll get married then, but I'm not going mm-hmm. anywhere. And God used her to push past this brokenness of mine. And she was the first person I can say with all certainty I ever fully trusted Mm -hmm. And never loved. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And um, so that was the beginning um, that showed me something's broken in my mind. I need to get it fixed. And I ultimately committed to um, 123 visits to a trauma specialist in nine months, doing EMDR to unpack the abuse and some of the torture and what I would call spiritual lies from... Evil that I Mm -hmm. believed about Mm -hmm. myself and others. And that was the beginning of healing. But I was I was a full-grown adult married with kids even then.
4: Yeah. Wow. So, So where do you even start when you are finding yourself in another country? You've experienced these things, and you are facing a woman who has been in captivity and had such horrific trauma. You're crossing cultures, you're crossing language barriers. What does that even look like? And crossing genders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not to mention religions and Mm -hmm. belief systems. So I feel like first I was called to it. I felt God called me to help other people in extreme situations because I had survived extreme. Uh, So I don't go in with judgment. I go in with an empathy and an understanding. Um, and you know, I just feel God's grace when I'm helping others. Does it affect me? Heck yeah! I mean, as as a matter of fact, just last week, somebody sent me a video of a a young girl, four or five years old, getting abused by her mother, stepping on her back, her face, mom pulling her hair, mom smoking a cigarette, it, it, and the cries and the shrieks of the little girl begging for a stop. And that's all preparatory to sexual abuse videos mm-hmm. that would be made with this girl. It 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 got next to me. And I haven't been I mean, I haven't been that deeply affected in probably several years. And it really mm-hmm. affected me, messed me up for a few days. So I, I you know, the I, I think we I've learned that God will redeem what even the worst that can happen to a person if a person will trust God to help them and not Mm -hmm. go their own way to try to figure it all out. So, you know, um, I I think it takes humility. uh, And then a real recognition to go, am I healthy right now? Because Mm -hmm. believe me, there were times um, in that theater of battle and war and that it's easy to cross a line of, I should just kill this person right Mm -hmm. here. And I certainly made decisions that had to be made whether a person would stay on the earth or not. But I I tell people when you have to make decisions like that, don't don't do it out of anger or hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, if that helps.
3: Uh, when your story began to circulate, became public. Uh, uh, there was a film made, uh, you found, you started to get a lot of attention from the military.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh,
3: I have, uh, watched a military version of your film. Wonderful film. Thank uh, you. triggered yep. that's available now on YouTube or available on your website. Powerful, yeah. powerful film. Thank you. Um, uh, I know that, oh, so, so, I mean, so many great insights in the film. Everybody. for well, one thing that I gleaned was everybody experiences post traumatic stress.
0: At very levels, not everybody yes,
3: experiences post traumatic stress disorder. It's a lot about Correct. whether you've been given the tools and the permission, and the uh, and the and the the support you need to work through the difficult emotions and right. metabolize them. Whether or not they're yeah, it's going to turn toxic on you. Yeah. Um, so we know that in extreme cases. Uh, a lot of our military personnel. I don't know what the suicide rates are today. I know they were as high as 22 men a day. I don't know if they're still there. Uh, uh, but I'm. Uh, but in addition to that, there are other ways that men and women cope with post traumatic stress that turn out to be counterproductive. And, and uh, in our world, addiction is a big is a it's big true. story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder what light you can shed on uh, the aftermath of untreated trauma.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for watching the film triggered and I hope people watching or listening will just simply Google it or YouTube it. It is a powerful short documentary that really was made for people who don't want to watch things on PTSD. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, but I would I would say this: I understand why people develop coping mechanisms because mm-hmm. when you're broken or in pain, whether it's drug, sexual addiction, uh, man, it could be violence, mm-hmm. a drivenness to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- you know, there's a whole list, sure. and any of those in the right perspective is okay. Mm-hmm. But once you cross a certain line. You become a slave to mm. it. Yeah. And, and I would tell people, now, I'm going to say something that might put people on their heels, but I'm asking them to just hear me out. I believe that most addictions, when a person's in a place that they struggle, they struggle and they can't break free. Mm. So no, it's no longer fun, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a benefit but it's a drivenness that becomes absolutely destructive. I believe there is a thing called demonic strongholds that can develop in a person meaning a demon. I believe demons are real. I've you know I've seen it too many times we've documented stuff but not the Hollywood version but mm-hmm. the invisible version where it it kind of studies and stalks a person, And then through whispers and lies, a evil demonic force can drive a person to believe things that actually aren't true Mm. about themselves or or others. So we see this a lot. Last year, we prayed for over 800 people. And I have have prayed for everything from children, Emmy award-winning actors, famous folks to generals in the Pentagon. Politicians, it doesn't matter Housewives, And I will tell you, that's a very real unseen and quiet tool of darkness that keeps people in bondage. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first question I'd say is like Jesus asked a man who had withered legs. He said, do you want to get healed? Mm -hmm. Because you can't force a person to be free. I just got a, a communication from a daughter who says, my dad won't leave his home. He is stuck on his computer. He spends, it's, he's, he's losing everything, finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so driven. And the dad even believes it's demonic, but he can't break away. Mm-hmm. And we've just seen people get a lot of freedom. Remember what I said in the beginning? We said kept us free physically, emotionally. Now I'm talking about spiritually. And that yeah, can yeah. level the playing field to allow persons to still deal with the emotional uh, things that they need to work through, through good counseling mm-hmm. or. You sure. know, yeah.
4: Yeah. You're, you're talking about a, a very difficult balance for a lot of Christians where they either want to avoid doing the practical work of counseling and getting right. support and community, the hard stuff and, and just do, let let's pray it away Right. Or you get the other side where it's like, yes, I still believe in Jesus, but I'm going to take care of this by my own power. And you're talking about bringing that balance into this process. And I appreciate the fact that you're calling it this quiet spiritual force because, yeah, Hollywood likes to make it big and flashy and people, you know, get afraid around. of around. It. Y- yeah, it's just yeah. a whole, you're talking about a very different thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's. What do you think, Nate, about how we as Christians find that balance where we don't neglect the spiritual and figure out how to save ourselves while still proclaiming Jesus? Well, what amazes me is uh, the
3: remarkable filtering ability that we have in our brains. We can can filter out what we don't want to see and what we don't want to believe. And in a a highly secularized post-Christian culture, uh, where uh, belie- uh, belief in demons is no longer uh, sexy or mainstream, uh, we can find other explanations or just blind ourselves to what, if the filter were removed, is pretty
0: damn clear. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well said.
2: <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah.
0: I-, I heard we're never more, our minds never more clever with self-deception. Uh uh, 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 until we're at that point of we don't want to believe something. Yeah. Uh, and then we will you know, and and even pastors, I'll tell you, some of the most resistive people to what we do in the spiritual realm are actually pastors. Yeah. I had yeah. a pastor of a huge mega church tell me, Victor, if what you're saying is true, I'd have to pray for a lot of people. His exact words. And maybe one day I'll out him because he he got weird and woke. I'm just like, gee, what a dingbat man! Can you imagine that? A pastor's praying. Holy smoke! Sorry. Yeah. Wow.
4: Yeah. So, so where has this journey led you now? Uh, is are you said you don't do as much in the Middle East, or just in a different way? Are you doing stuff more at home? How are you addressing setting the captives free? in 2023 oh man
0: there's a slogan yeah that's <laughs> well that that's that's the right question um we we've never stopped helping people in the middle east as a matter of fact we just mm-hmm. had a team return from putting together task force with law enforcement in iraq to help do counter sex trafficking and counter pedophile work so that's oh, wow th- that is one of our big initiatives um so we, we, we do that there. We do that here. We have safe houses, and we do the same thing in Southeast Asia. Uh, we've helped with the immigrant issue by actually going on the exact trail they follow. Me and a team, we hopped around from Texas, Mexico, Guatemala, Panama, down to Colombia. Um, because there's so much sexual abuse and child abuse yeah. and, and yeah. all of that. Um, and then... We we have a strong call and desire to see people come to faith in Christ. Ultimately, evangelism is is the core of our ministry, mm-hmm. uh, but we do it through practical means, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's never more easier to share Christ with someone that you've helped and yes. shown His love. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then through media, um, social media, as you guys know, I, you know, I just did a, a hit on Fox. It's I think using the airwaves to proclaim truth and tell stories is critical. But here in the U.S., we're, we literally work seven, uh, 24-7 doing counter-sex trafficking and toward counter-pedophile work. We work with law enforcement. We don't work outside of them. Mm-hmm. But our teams are equipped in ways that typical law enforcement may not have the bandwidth, funding, or even mm-hmm. the experience so we come in as a force multiplier and things happen very quickly. Um, and they have great respect for what we do, and we don't charge for it because we're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, solicit funds from people who believe in what we're doing, and then that enables us to do whatever we want. But gosh, what, I just got back from Cuba uh at a pastors conference for six hundred pastors in an oppressed country. Really? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. very
4: very exciting. Well, I'm always curious being a, a dad that still has two teenagers at home. Yeah. What's something you wish, uh, let's be specific to America. It might apply other places, but what do you wish American parents would understand to keep their children more safe so that you'd have a little less to do?
0: Nobody's going to like what I'm going to say. I like, I like it already. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, most people have lots of opinions in what we call thin data. Yeah. they hear they but they don't have thick data. they haven't lived it, they haven't been in the thick of things and it's it's important that people listen to, to folks who actually have the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you right now, social media, cell phones, and Mm -hmm. computers are the way you will lose your children. Yes. And stop waiting for the taken scene, you -hmm. know, Uh, and stop talking about the Epstein Island. The reality is the compromised message and the messaging being done. That's super intentional through all these venues that your kids watch, read, listen to, will diminish their ability to have a conscience of making right and wrong decisions because the gray has been blurred and then Mm -hmm. what's really right has been challenged long enough to where they will be compromised and hooked through social media, through predators hunting them. And when I say stop waiting for the van to come by and snatch them up, Mm-hmm. Although that happens, it's still so small in comparison to someone wooing your child through a relationship Yeah, mm-hmm. over time to where they say, why don't you meet me at? And yeah, then yeah. your kid willingly does it. And they still don't stuff them in a van. They've conditioned, they've groomed them mm-hmm. to now they can take them or get them to turn on you. Um it, folks need to understand predators are trained and predators are high school high school boys people that everybody would freak out if they knew you know people mm-hmm. with businesses respectable mm-hmm. uh youth pastors coaches it, yeah. it's 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 very disheartening to know the level of of evil women grandmothers it, it's it's so nefarious and evil Mm -hmm. that kids have to be scared back into the reality to go this you know so put limits on it i'll tell you one horrible story but it a a young man got arrested for taping his sister up with duct tape and sexually abusing her the father and mom contacted me because he got arrested and they were like it it was near where i was and they said could you just go visit him so I went and visited him. The, the kid was totally demonized. I mean, he mm-hmm. could, he could it, the influence of evil on him, it was almost like he was, you know, Ugh, he couldn't, it was just like, this kid needs deliverance, man. But I looked at the dad and I said, how did this pattern start? He goes, well, it was through his computer. And he would look at porn. So we, you know, we changed the password on Wi-Fi and we did this and that, and over a couple of years, you know, and I'm telling you, the kid was only like 15 it just continued. And I looked at him and said, why did you keep the computer in mm-hmm. the house? Who, who, what law declares you have to keep a computer or give your kid a cell phone? Mm-hmm. There's none. That's the right. tools that are going to destroy your kid. And, you know, my kids were they there in the house. They did their schoolwork at the table yep. on their computers. Mm-hmm. They used their phone when it came you know, nine ten o'clock, they bring their phone and put it up there or give it to me because I love them enough to say this may be a boundary that, you know, uh, is is I have to install to help protect you. So and then educating them on the realities of what trafficking, abuse and mental warfare and spiritual warfare really looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: There is a push uh, a cultural push to say that pornography uh, any any effort to put limits on the production of pornography is uh, a restraint upon free speech people are just expressing themselves and expressing themselves freely right you've had a look behind the curtain as to yeah. uh, the exploitation that that goes on or can go on I don't know what it's frequency but well how would you come how do you from your vantage point, look at the porn industry.
0: Yeah. Well, we've we've been right up in there to friends mm-hmm. who've worked in the industry, mm-hmm. um, at the highest level, Joshua mm-hmm. Broom, people can look him up. Yeah. Uh, to we've been to the porn conventions. We understand mm-hmm. the sex industry. So one, I I don't throw a lot of shade and hate toward people who are in the industry, mm-hmm. um, as far as the performers typically Mm. girls guys too, but it's how did they get there? Mm. Why? And again, it goes back to this long road, typically to where, uh, and I want to tell folks as I go, yes, there can, there are legitimate people who want to shake their thing and Mm. try to make money from it. And there's literally no harm in that of itself Mm. from a, like an ethical adult making a decision to, look, here are my mm-hmm. boobies. The problem is that those cases are more rare. Mm-hmm. And I tell gals, is this where will it stop? And the mm-hmm. reality is it doesn't mm-hmm. because it's about money. So mm-hmm. girls who are women who get into, you know, even doing home videos and whatnot, it mm-hmm. escalates. The perversion continues. But what men and women should realize is that a girl that's in a sex scene doing things and all that, I don't care how how much she looks like she's enjoying it, you have no way of knowing if that girl wasn't physically beaten as a kid Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who wasn't conditioned, abused, sexually tormented, to a place of complete and utter obedience Mm -hmm. because that type of grooming conditioning happens more than people would even imagine. Yeah. And we've seen it, and I see it. Uh, You know, I could post videos that would give people nightmares and never, Mm -hmm. they would never look at porn again when you see how young girls are trained, tortured, abused, conditioned to then later have makeup, everything right, good lighting, and to do anything that they're commanded and required to do by their handler. And that's a very, very sad place.
4: Well, how do people learn more about your organization, support you? Just where do they go? What do they do?
0: They have to fly to Baghdad, fight their way (laughs) into Syria, and, and meet me. At a Starbucks <laughs> coffee uh, location. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just go to Victor Marks, M A R X, Victor Marks, dot com. I dare them. If they want to get an education on what sex trafficking and really is, we actually have online courses that a person can do like that. Their eyes will be open. They're like, oh gosh, this is different than what I was told or saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, I'm all over social media. Instagram is probably my favorite. Uh, this past 30 days, we reached around 5 million people. But,
4: um, but your wife takes away your phone at 10 o'clock. Oh, uh,
0: she used to. <laughs> but now that I'm a grandfather with five granddaughters, I'm typically unconscious by nine. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. the hard part for years is running operations. And you have to keep your phone on 24-7 because yeah. I'm getting pinged from all over the world and we have live active things going on. But I've got the most incredible new president of All Things Possible Ministries, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Teagues, who was in Delta. Um, oh, wow. The unit as an operator and a leader with over a thousand missions he had in Delta. And wow. uh, he never lost a man. Wow. But he is hunted... Wow. Killed, destroyed, uh the the worst monsters on the earth, as well as help rescue and recover uh some of the most innocent uh kids and people on earth as well. So yeah, he gets to uh, handle the operations now.
4: Uh, well he okay. sounds he sounds like his resume was up to snuff, so that's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I asked him why didn't you join the Marines? <coughs> and <laughs> And he said, I couldn't handle eating crayons. Well, not all are called to be Marines there. (laughs) Well,
3: thank you so much, Victor. Of course, Uh,
0: gentlemen. It's been such a joy to speak with
3: you. Thank you. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk
0: Podcast.
2: right welcome back wow what an amazing uh interview um so powerful on so many levels i would love to hear uh what your thoughts were up
1: yeah yeah i victor has such a powerful story testimony mission um there's just such a deep fabric with him that is loaded with conviction um and his work has been ongoing for 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 years and i so much appreciate what he's doing that probably the part two parts that stood out to me one was you know at some age and i forget the age that he mentioned um he made a vow that he would always or never um you know allow you know a gun to be put to his head right he would right. he would be smarter he would be faster he would work harder and in there's a part of me that relates to that although i never made a specific vow when i was a kid Um, you know, I very much relate to the idea that I made a vow that, that over time that said, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to work and I'm going to hustle for my worth and value. And, and that's been part of my story since I was probably four or five, six years old. And so that, that stood out to me. I very much resonated with that. And then, then he talked about transference, like his turning point in his life when he realized that his anger was being transferred to, you know, people around him. And, and, right. um, you know, for me, I, anger wasn't necessarily the, the issue that I transferred over, but so much of the emotional immaturity, um, that I didn't know how to deal with in life definitely was transferred over to the people closest to me, uh, including my, my former spouse. And so, I don't know. I was just sitting with that, listening in the interview, really resonating with that turning point for him and um, and what he's learned and how he's changed from that that kind of that moment forward. And of course, it's a journey, just like for all of us. But uh, not only did I appreciate his honesty in that moment, but also again just how that's been part of my story. So, how about Absolutely. you, Pablito? How about you, Pablito?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, you and I have. Um really, uh, enveloped into the, uh, the, uh, power of story and learning, learn each other's story. And, and we're still on that journey together and along with other brothers. And, um, and I know that, uh, we just, we referenced a, the retreat earlier and, um, Adam Young did a great job of really inviting men, uh, to discover their story, be curious, et cetera. And so it was real similar. I just it was amazed. I had heard of Victor Marks. I had heard friends um talk about him and and of course you know the famous video of being able to uh take that take the gun out of the guy's hand and all the magazine out in 0.8 seconds how amazing is that but just to find out where that came out of well i never knew the story of of that uh, torture and abuse um just just absolutely powerful and yet like you were talking about his reference to the um T- uh, transfer of anger you know at one certain point he says okay there's something going on here that i want to look at so for me it was um the redemptive part of it um the part where now he pr- rescues and protects and physically emotionally spiritually his um, organization has um a- a- affected so many people in a positive way about um, th- tens of thousands of people like he mentioned and um people that were vulnerable uh, could not protect themselves and they're really contributing in that area and it kind of if you will came out of his story you know I don't know that that would have happened if he didn't have those experiences which were of course were traumatic and uh, very real and painful Um, but I just love the redemptive uh, part of that and so yeah I I have another question for you. I was just curious about, they they kind of segued into that question about what does freedom look like? You know, is it that prayer line at the church? Is it the therapist office? Um, I was curious for you, what did you have a takeaway on uh, if you were to say setting captives free? You know, what does that look like for you?
1: Oh man, that's so good. And it's, that was a big topic. I know Nate and, mm-hmm. and Aaron tried to go there, and they spent some time kind of reflecting on you know, the church response versus the non-church response and kind of everything in between. For me, what rose up was um, very much a story, my own story of guilt and shame growing up in the church Christian school, mm-hmm. always thinking that I needed to work harder and be better, um, say more prayers, get to the front of the altar, and, uh, and then, you know, redemption would come and, and while that is some people's stories, you and I've probably met some guys that have, have, uh, found freedom, um, and redemption through, um, those types of moments in their Christian walk. That's not been my story. Right. And, uh, and so I, I, rep- I really appreciated the, his idea of redemption, um, and, and tied to a journey, you know, and yes. And, uh, and he, it was his own story and it very much relates to mine because there was not one singular moment. And I get this question all the time. What's the turning point, Rob? What was the, what was the best thing you've ever done? And, and I I look back and I just, I I can't point to one thing. I can't point to one moment, one book, one podcast, one prayer. Um, but I can point to four years of, of steadfast dedication. I can point to a whole series of, of uh daily and hourly choices that have really helped me move forward in life and start to experience that redemption and and hopefully guys around me and my family and, and people that are close to me get a chance to be part of that. And I, I think that they have reflected that back to me. But um but yeah that's that's the part I related to was that this is a story and this is a journey. Um but if you make the right choices, like if you choose to be different and then you stay committed um, goodness can come and i think he he definitely represented that as part of his own story. So
2: how about yeah. you Paul? How since and it
1: struck you what is, what's uh, what's coming up for you?
2: Yeah, you know, i'm going to just add on if i could to what you were just saying cuz i know you talked about an independence um that wanting to do you know for me is i can relate to that feeling like i needed to live life alone if a need was going to be met i was going to be need to be the one to meet it uh, i can relate to that and yet um just that reference of like making good decisions moment by moment. Um, I have learned cause I went through all those, you know, I went through deliverance and, you know, Christian self-help and, uh, different, um, you know, prayer lines and all those types of things. And, but I, I realized that God's choice for me, God, God wanted me to reach out to another brother, uh, and, and me making that next best decision, um, for my in my journey, the last, especially the last several years, has has been um, a one of being vulnerable and honest, you know, uh, and partnering with somebody, letting them in uh, when I would keep people um, at bay and not let them too close to me, you know, because if they really knew me, you know, then they wouldn't like me or they'd reject me and or it'd be more pain is the bottom line, and so self protective type parts came on and. So I'm I'm learning that um, the intimacy disorder that I developed through my own story as a as a youngin um, has been healing over time, but at the same time, of course, God's God's all in in that you know He's part of that He's orchestrating it um, because if I but if I had done that uh, it, with Him so to speak, not with anybody else, I think I would have been a spiritual prideful, egotistical you know, um, <laughs> person yes. that nobody wants to be around and not yes. relatable. Um, yeah. so I think that's part of the journey for me. And I, um, I really loved hearing, uh, you know, Victor's take on that. So good stuff, buddy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great to, uh, great to reflect on this podcast with you. And we get absolutely. to do this every week with each other on Tuesday nights. We got to do it in person here in the Dallas area last weekend, which was amazing, um, to not just do this virtually, but uh, to be in our physical presence and very much appreciate you and your journey and being part of it and, and how you live exactly what you just described, honest, transparent, and bringing others into your uh, into your process. And I'm, I'm grateful and humbled to be part of that with you.
2: Absolutely. Ditto, my brother, like they said in the movie Ghost. Ditto. <laughs> Love you, brother. We're going to sign off. We are your friends at the Pirate Monk Podcast, and uh, you are loved, and you are seen, and your life is worthwhile. So we will see you next time. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to PirateMonkPodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes, and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit SamsonSociety.com.